How amazing was that yesterday? Like, a day of hope. And literally, that's what we brought. Some of those statistics that my wife shared, unbelievable. 5,000 bags of groceries, 1,500 shoes, and the biggest one of all, 44 people crossing that line of faith. This church really does exist for people to reach their full potential in Jesus, but you can't reach your full potential unless you know Jesus, right? And so making that decision for, for people to, to say yes to Jesus, to give their life to following him, that's the best number uh, of all. And for those of you that, that loved it, you love serving, uh, one of the things that we love to do after a day like this is for those of you that would say, man, I can't wait to do it again. I can't wait until next year. Well, here's the thing. You don't have to wait. In fact, every single month we have a mobile dream center that goes out into the community. And so we know that some of you are wired, that you just wanna serve, that you wanna you know, reach people in our city. So I would encourage you to get on the app, look on the website every first Saturday of the month because we believe in, in giving our first and our best away. Every first Saturday of the month we will be out serving in our city. So you can find out if that's you and you're like, man, I love doing this. Well, you don't have to wait again uh, till next year. We got some great things planned in the months to come. Today, I just want to share a simple message with you that connects us to what we've been a part of this week. Like we're in this series called Uncommon because we serve an uncommon God and he doesn't want us to live common lives, but to live uncommon lives. And today, we're going to talk about an uncommon compassion. An uncommon compassion because we should celebrate days like yesterday, but I never want us to be satisfied with it. Like that there's always more, that there's always this urgency for the things that we could be doing and should be doing in the city that we live in. And the question that came to my mind uh, during worship and, and even in fact during, during yesterday was are we doing all that we can? Are we really doing all that we can in our city to share an uncommon kind of compassion? Even just this week was a week on compassion. Some of you are familiar with Erie Gives, and that's, that's uh, where there's a, a day set aside for people to, to give to uh, nonprofit organizations and different ministries like that. So they do like one day out of the year, and they'll just kind of support uh, these organizations uh, and fund them. And so many of you might have participated in that, being a part of Erie Gives, and it was all over social media. You know, it kind of blew up everywhere. And in many ways, social media can be a catalyst for change. In many ways, social media is a great platform to, to get out, uh, to raise awareness, or to even raise funds, right? You can do some crowdfunding and things on, on social media. It's an incredible platform uh, to spread the news quickly of 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 events or tragedies or crises. It's, it's one of those platforms where, like, it, it wasn't news last night, but this morning it's news, right? This morning it's, it's blown up everywhere. It's all over the place. Uh, social media is a great platform to do that. However, the antithesis of that is also true, that while something can explode overnight and become, you know, go viral, overnight something that was viral can be forgotten. Overnight something that was a, a big deal can, can be completely uh, just left to the, the wayside, not even talked about anymore or even thought about anymore. In other words, as quickly as something comes, it goes. I don't know if you remember uh, back in 2004, there was 200 plus Ni Nigerian schoolgirls who were abducted. And it, and it was all over social media. 
and, and it really kind of tugged on the heartstrings of the American population. Everybody was talking about it. It was on Facebook, it was on Instagram, right? It was all over all these other platforms as well. Four years later, guess what? Nearly over 100 of them are still missing, and no one's talking about it. Over 100 of them are, are still missing, yet it's not news anymore. It's hot, and then it's not. It's, it's news for a, a minute, for a season, right? And then as quickly as it comes, it goes away. Or, or how about this one? Anybody remember the, the ALS uh, ice water challenge? Anybody do that? Raise your hand. You remember this? Like for a while, this was all people were doing, like, oh my dang, for a whole month, right? People were just dumping ice water on each other. And it raised a lot of awareness for Lou Gehrig's disease, which nobody was talking about before this. And then it was like everyone was talking about it. And it raised a lot of money for it, but it quickly, after a month or so, fizzled out. And I think a lot of times um, there are benefits to social media, but causes and news and, and things like that on social media are like a flare, right? It burns hot, it burns brightly, but then it quickly burns out. Colby, why are we talking about social media? Here's why. I believe there are some extreme downsides. I believe when it comes to creating a value of compassion, social media has been defining for us a lot of the ways that we do compassion, a lot of the ways that we have lived compassion out. In fact, a, uh, a study done by the University of Michigan, we got any Wolverines fans in the house? We'll pray for you, brother. Um, you need to know Jesus, but in... in 1979, they did a survey, this comprehensive survey from 1979 to 2009. So 30 years, they, they surveyed 14,000 students. And what they discovered was in this huge survey is that we have grown as a population to care less about people. In fact, the results of the study were that we care 40% less about people than we did in the 1980s. We, we care, we just don't even care as much as we used to. And what's really sad about that is when I say we care 40% less, some of you didn't care that we don't care. You're like, I don't care, that's fine. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the world that we, that we live in. And what's crazy is that uh, if you're interested in this, this study, 40% less, I just think that's unbelievable. They, they said right, um, from one to five, one being the least, five being the highest, and rank where you would fall. And they had statements like, I sometimes try to understand my friends by um, better looking at things from their perspective. There was a 40% drop in people that, that tried to do that. Like a drastic decrease. Uh, another one was I have often, um, I have concerned feelings about people less fortunate than me. Again, that was a huge drop. People just didn't care nearly as much as they used to. People referred to themselves um, a lot less as being soft-hearted. Uh, they, they weren't concerned about the misfortunes of others as much as they, they used to be. It's 40% drop in the way we care for other people. And some of you, again, you don't care. You're like, man, how long is this gonna take today? I'm hungry, let's get out of here, right? Like, let's go. So why, though? Like, why, why do we care less about people than we used to. There are many reasons, but experts all agree that at the top of the list is this thing driving a, a new form of compassion called social media. These platforms that we have out there talking about, about causes. Colby, how is that possible? How can social media make me care less for people uh, than I do? Well, there are three, three ways if you wanna jot these down. The first is we have to admit we are more obsessed with ourselves than ever before. Like, aren't we? 
Like the things that you post, the things that you care about on social platforms, aren't, aren't we more concerned with the way that we look? I mean, the whole idea of a selfie, right? I mean, there's a, those of you in this room that are younger, like you've, you've known the term selfie from birth, basically, all right? Like, it's normal for you. Selfies are normal. Can I tell you something? Selfies are normal. Like, turning a camera on yourself is not normal, all right? This is not, we're concerned, we're obsessed with our, our selfie. If, by the way, you're older, you're my generation, you're older, and you're looking to, to learn how to take some selfies, I got some tips for you, okay? Uh, this is gonna bless you in Jesus' name this morning right here. You are gonna leave here today uh, with a new uh, level in your selfie game, all right? Let's just put it that way. Because some of you are like, isn't it easy? Don't I just smile and take a picture of myself? Isn't that all I have to do? <laughs> so much to learn, so much to learn. <laughs> if you wanna commit selfie suicide, you go ahead and do that. Or uh, let me give you some, some different types of selfies that are out there. First, you have the, the driving in your car selfie. A lot of people are doing that selfie. That's a good selfie. You gotta get that selfie down, right? It's slightly dangerous to do that selfie, uh, but that's an important one. Then there's the ever popular um, duck lips selfie. Also known as like pouty face selfie. Or, you know, girls are typically a lot better at doing this. However, uh, that's pretty good right there. There's the me and my bestie selfie. You gotta make sure you get one of those. You know, you're together, um, and then there's also kissing somewhere cool selfie. You gotta make sure you do one of those. And cool for Kristen and I would be in the diaper aisle at Giant Eagle. And since we're parents of, of a lot of little kids, if you ever get a chance to do that outside of the home without kids, you gotta be careful because it could turn into, you know, a little hot and heavy. Parents with little ones, you know what I'm talking about. You gotta watch out for that. There's the I stole your phone backstage selfie. Thanks, Dave. Um, and then there's me with my cute pet selfie. That's always a popular one. You gotta make sure. Yeah, it's precious. Uh, and then you have the, the ever popular I'm someplace cool and you're not selfie, right? So that's me there. That's also known as the you're sitting at home while I'm at Breckenridge selfie. So that's a good selfie. You gotta make sure to have that one. Um, then there's the silly selfie, of course. Maybe you know how to do silly selfies. But you always have to counterbalance the silly selfie with the serious selfie, right? The <laughs> intently looking, pondering kind of selfie. And then I, I wanna give you um, one more. This is the final one that uh, for far too long, the women have, have had kind of the monopoly on this selfie. But I wanna bring it back for the guys today. And that is the check out my outfit selfie right there. What's up? That's a good one. Just lost respect with a lot of you. You can take that away. You can take that away. We have to admit, let's be honest, we are way more obsessed with ourselves, with ourselves than we ever have been before. In fact, studies show that 80% of your time spent on social media is spent doing things that um, directly relate to you. So I'm gonna look at the picture I posted and see who commented on it. So I'm gonna see if you liked my picture. I'm gonna see you know, about the things that, that I wanna see that I'm concerned with. 80% of what you're looking at and spending time on, on social media relates directly to you, which by the way, 
When, you, when someone comments on your picture, when someone likes something that you, you posted, our brain releases a chemical called dopamine, which actually gives us a, a natural kind of high. So when somebody likes your post, you're like, oh, I like that, right? It gives you kind of this, this, this buzz, oh, that feels good. And so we're constantly checking, are they liking my stuff? You know, are they commenting on, on my picture, on what I put out there? Do they like what I did? So since we are... On average, 80% of our time is looking at stuff that deals with us. And so when we do that, dopamine is being released. Our bodies are actually training us to be more selfish. Like they're, they're training us to live that way. So one of the reasons uh, social media has this, this drastic uh, effect on how we do compassion is that we are way more obsessed with ourselves than ever before. Another way is that we are becoming desensitized to suffering because we see it everywhere. Like an overwhelming exposure to all that's going on. Every place that you, you look, we see, you know, this person's hurting, that tragedy is happening. We are becoming desensitized to it. Years ago, when you'd watch on, on TV, I don't know if you remember these commercials, you'd see um, about the kids who are starving in third world countries, and oftentimes it'd be, you know, Tammy Faye Baker. Does anybody remember the Tammy Faye Baker? Starving children days, she's always crying, mascara's running, looks like someone shot her in the eyes with paintballs. Do you remember this? That's what it looked like. I would, I would watch those, those commercials, and they would, they would impact me. Like it would do something to me. In fact, I felt sick in my stomach that I always have to change the channel because I didn't wanna see that. I didn't wanna feel guilty living where I was living, looking at their living conditions and what they were experiencing. However, today, I've seen so much of that stuff. Like post after post, you know, news story after, after news story, picture after picture. I can, I can see the, the hungry child and it impacts me but it doesn't impact me the way it used to because I see it everywhere. And it's almost like I'm becoming desensitized to it. And experts would also tell us that because we see everything on a timeline, right? You see one post and then you scroll and you see another post, one post after uh, the other, story after story, because we see everything on a timeline, our brain doesn't really know how to differentiate between which one is important and which one isn't. So for example, you, you, you log on to Facebook and you see you know, a new guacamole recipe. And so you read about it, you scroll up a little bit and then you see uh, another terrorist attack in Afghanistan. And then you scroll up a little bit and you see, hey, join my oil team. And then you scroll up a little bit and you see um, you know, another football player that, that hit his spouse. And then you scroll up a little bit and you see funny cat videos and then you scroll and the next thing you see is some reporter somewhere getting beheaded and our brain really has a hard time differentiating between which one is more important than the other, the funny cat video or the beheading because they're both sharing equal time and equal space on our timelines. And because they are equal, they almost become equal in our minds and we start to care less. We're becoming desensitized another way we're becoming uh, less compassionate, is we are becoming void of real authentic relationships. Because everything's online. We view people through the eyes of social media, which by the way, they're only posting the stuff that they wanna post in the first place. And so we're becoming uh, less connected. It's becoming easier for us not to care about others. You post something on Instagram, hey, I lost my job. I might comment on it saying, hey man, that's terrible. I'll pray for you. 
and then I'll pray for you, let's be honest, if I remember to, right? Or if I didn't do it right in that moment and I forget, I'm just being real. You know, we just kind of, you know, I see it, but you're at a distance. Things that are, are, are distant from us are easy for us to uh, kind of separate ourselves from. But you call me, we go sit down, and I see you face to face across the table, and you tell me um, how, how you lost your job, and I see the desperation in your eyes. I hear the desperation in your voice as you tell me that you're, you had to tell your little girl that she couldn't do dance anymore, that you had to explain to your, your mom that you couldn't pay for her health care anymore as she's in this nursing home because you lost your job and you can't pay the mortgage. Then guess what? I'm deeply drawn into that. I'm deeply connected to that. I'm, my heart is moved in a way it wouldn't be if I saw it posted on Instagram or I saw it posted on Facebook. It's easier to disconnect from others when there's this distance and when that's the way we relate. When all I see is kind of what's going on in your life on Facebook or Instagram, we end up caring less. Post about it on Instagram, I don't care. Call me, connect with me, like, I'm there for you. So, Colby, what is the challenge in all of this? How, how then do we learn how to show uncommon compassion? The kind of compassion that I believe God has called us to live out. Not a social media level compassion that my compassion uh, for people should run deeper and should last longer than the length of the timeline, you know, the post on my timeline. That we are called to have a, a deeper kind of compassion for others than just that. Well, the word compassion itself, write this down, you probably know this, means to suffer with. It means to hurt with. So it's gonna cost us something, right? It's gonna impact our lives. We're gonna, we're gonna suffer alongside of you. It's not like I can just click on it and that's my compassionate uh, thing for the day. Click like. But then I actually suffer and hurt with you. The Greek word translated as compassionate. Everybody say this word. Not even gonna try. No, I'm just kidding. Splagnitsomai, something like that, right? Close enough. Splagnitsomai means this deep yearning in your bowels, which I'm not 100% sure what that means, but that doesn't sound good either. It means to feel deep sympathy for, and it means ultimately to be moved to action. That you hurt so much, that you care so much, that that, that tragedy, that need, cause you, compels you to do something about it. That you're actually moved to make a difference, that your, your gut is, is wrecked, that your intestines are, are there's something twisting up inside of you, you got knots in your, your stomach, you're moved to action. If you want a title for this message, I'm calling it Time for a Gut Wreck. Not a gut check, but a gut wreck. Like, when's the last time you had your gut wrecked? When's the last time you were so moved with compassion that you were compelled to do something about it? Because there's two things that I need us to understand about compassion. First is, it's not compassion unless there's action. If you are not acting on it, it's not compassion. Compassion you are suffering with. Compassion you are, are hurting with. This is huge. It's not just an emotion, right? But it is an action. And without that action, it's not compassion, and the level to which you act reflects the level to which you care. So your action should be in direct proportion to the amount of compassion that you have. In other words, they should agree. Do you agree? Like if you feel strongly about something, the way you respond to it, like it, 
you, you should, they should be in agreement with each other. Let's say, for, for example, and I wasn't sure if I was gonna talk about this or not, but one of the things that, that just gets me sometimes is when people will post about causes on Facebook, um, say, uh, the, the human trafficking, and let's end it. And so they'll draw a big, on, big, red, big red X on their hand. Have you seen this before? They'll draw a big red X on their hand because they wanna bring awareness to it. But if that's all you do, like probably the least compassionate thing you can do is just draw an X on your hand and that be it. Now some of you support human trafficking causes like A21 and you give to that. And I'm not talking about you, but those of you that just want to have an X on your hand and post it because you're bringing awareness to a cause, but really you're bringing more awareness to yourself than anything. And I'm just being honest, I've done that. I've drawn an X on my hand, said I wanna I stamp out you know, human trafficking, but I didn't give to it is probably the least compassionate thing I can do. Like I would be more compassionate if I took that $2 that it cost me for that Sharpie and gave that to that cause, right? Are you with me on this? But a lot of times we will give the appearance of compassion, but it's not really compassion unless you act on it. And your level of action reflects how much you care about it. So if you see something on Instagram and you just click, oh, I like that, is that compassionate? or you just repost something, or I hearted it, or I shared that. Is that really compassion? Which, by the way, I, I never understood when somebody's going through a tough time, the way we show compassion is we like it. Just got divorced, like? That makes no sense to me, right? But that's what we do. That's the level, that's our extent sometimes of compassion that we have for people. Clicking is not caring. Acting is caring, and true compassion always compels us to action every single time. So be compassionate. And compassion isn't liking a post. Compassion is caring for the person. And what's amazing is we have this wonderful example in Jesus all throughout Scripture. Anytime we read the words that Jesus was moved to compassion, there was always uh, a responding action. Every time in, in the Gospels, uh, that as it related to Jesus, you see that word compassion. It was followed up with an action. Let's, let's take a look at some of these in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. The story says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He said, if you're willing, talking to Jesus, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus was moved with, what's that word? Compassion. Because he was moved with compassion, because he felt something, because he was moved with splagnitzomai, right? Something was going on in his stomach because he felt it, he did it, therefore he acted. Jesus reached out and he touched him. He was moved with compassion, so he touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Another time in Matthew 14, uh, verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had splagnitzomai. He had compassion on them, and so he healed the sick. He didn't say, I'll pray for you, I'll remember you, I'll think about you. That's not what he did. He acted, he felt for them, and he moved to action. Matthew 20, 34, when some blind guys were crying out to Jesus, um, what did he have? He had compassion on them, so he touched their eyes, and immediately they received sight, and they followed him. Jesus felt compassion, and when he felt compassion, he took that compassion, and it moved him to action. Compassion demands action from us. And the level of which you care should be reflected in the level to which you act. 
But here we are in a world that cares 40% less about people than it did. And I gotta believe that it breaks the heart of God. I gotta believe that God wants more from us. He wants more from our church, not just to sit by and just like something or click on something, but to actually be moved to action. In fact, here's the bottom line. If you wanna jot this down, the more we obsess over ourselves, did you like my picture? Did you, did you like my duck lips? Did you comment on my, my, you know, kissing my wife in the grocery store or whatever? Did you like that? The more I'm obsessed with myself, the more selfish I become. The more I care about me. And the more I care about me, the less I care about people. But the closer I get to Jesus, the more I care about him, the more I love him, the more I'm dying to myself. I'm actually be dying to my selfie. I'm dying to, to me. The more I can take up my cross and follow him, then suddenly I deny myself and I, I, I follow him. And the closer I get to Jesus, the less I care about myself and the more I care about others. And that really is the goal for us. The closer we get to Jesus, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you took a day or you took a weekend and you had splagnitzomai? You had this, this compelling, this, this twisting in your gut that you needed to help someone. And so you took time from your day to, to help them. When was the last time you came along someone who, who needed something financially and you gave above and beyond, not what was expected, but you went further to help them out? When was the last time that you um, gave up something that you like doing? They gave up your golf league, gave up your, your whatever it was that you liked in order to serve someone else. Now, 350 plus of you would say yesterday. Like I did that yesterday. We had a, a great day serving people and praise God for that. But many of us in this room might not be able to respond that way. Many more of us in this room might perhaps not be able to remember the last time we displayed an uncommon compassion, the last time we had a gut wreck, the last time we were compelled to take action. And if that's the case, we have to ask ourselves this question right here. Are we as close to Jesus as we thought? Because the closer I get to Jesus, the less I care about myself. And the less I care about myself, the more I care about others. So let's put this into action. All right, with, the, with a few minutes that we have left, let me give you three thoughts on how to have an uncommon compassion. The first thing to jot down is this. Opportunities for compassion often show up as interruptions. That's the way it works, isn't it? Like they show up as these divine interruptions in our life. Time after time, again after again, as you read through scripture, Jesus was interrupted by the needs of, of people. I'll give you some examples. In Mark chapter six, Jesus and the disciples had been working their tails off. They were doing ministry and they were exhausted. They were tired. In fact, Jesus said, hey, let's take a break. Let's rest. You know, let's get something to eat. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way, right? You're just exhausted. You're, you're tired. You're like, if somebody doesn't take these kids from me, I'm gonna give them away. You know what I'm saying? Some of you moms, you're like, I'm, I've had it to hear. Well, Jesus was in that kind of moment where he's like, I'm done, we're tired, we're, we're spent. And suddenly, the Bible tells us that a big crowd shows up. 
And what does he do? He's moved with compassion. And although he hadn't eaten, although they were tired and worn out, he taught them anyway. Why? Because that's what you do when you're moved with compassion. That's what you do when you are compelled, when there's something twisting in your gut. That's what you do when you are interrupted by the needs of people. And he said, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to teach them. Another time in Luke chapter eight, he's on his way to heal a, a dying girl. And this dad is, is, is racing uh, Jesus to his house to save his daughter. And on his way, he's interrupted. He stops in the crowd. A lady reaches out and touches him. He's like, you know, you know what just happened? Some power went from me. And he stopped and he healed this woman who had this affliction for 12 years that she had been battling. He stopped. He was interrupted to heal her, to move on. And then he healed this girl who who had died. And so he was interrupted in that moment. Perhaps the craziest interruption is found in Mark 2. Jesus is teaching to this record attendance. The house is packed. They are shoulder to shoulder. There's no more room to get in. But these four guys come up with a crazy idea that they're going to rip the roof off and lower their paralyzed friend down into see Jesus, which by the way, if somebody starts ripping this roof off, I'm out of here. You should know that, all right? We're just, let's go, let's get out. But they ripped the roof off, these guys, because they were compelled by compassion to help their friend take him to Jesus, rip the roof off, and the Bible tells us that Jesus forgives him and Jesus heals him. What does Jesus do? He demonstrates to us what we need to do when interrupted by these divine opportunities, these divine moments to show compassion. And I'm gonna argue all day long that God the way that he works a lot of times is through these divine interruptions. And many times we miss them because we are too busy. Too busy to be interrupted, too busy to, to help. Maybe because our, our life, you know, we're just, it's kinda like the timeline on Facebook. We see something for a moment and then it's gone. We're just too busy, we just keep going. I don't know what that'll mean for you. Maybe you need to be interrupted in your life and you need to make that phone call that's been nagging at you. There's this divine opportunity for you to reach out and help someone. Maybe it'll be as you're driving down the street and you see that car pulled over on the side and instead of just flying by them, that you stop and you help change that tire. Maybe you just saw a NASCAR event and you're like, I'm gonna change that tire like a pit crew and you just go, like I'm owning this. And you just go, you're interrupted. Maybe it's gonna be that, that there's that nagging person in your small group, you know, the one that just talks all the time. It's like, blah, 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 blah. Which, by the way, every small group has one, okay? It is a spiritual principle. Everybody has the annoying person in their small group. If you're like, our group doesn't have one, hashtag is probably you. I just wanna throw that out there. <laughs> but maybe... You allow that interruption to happen so you can speak into their life. Maybe it's a moment that God is interrupting you. He's giving you this opportunity to show compassion. Opportunities to display compassion often show up as interruptions. Here's the second thing. There's always a cost connected to our compassion. And I say that because we live in this, I wanna call it drive-by compassion kind of society hey, if I can just real quick give you some money and be on my way, I'm good. Hey, if I can just click on your post or if I can reshare your post or if I can uh, heart it or I do whatever, you know, then I'm good. It's this drive-by compassion, not realizing, hey, our compassion, it actually, there's a cost to it sometimes. 
there was a, a story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. I don't know if you remember the story, but a guy was just beat up on the side of the road and a couple of these other guys passed him by. But the one guy that, that should have hated him, actually that they should have been you know, in bat- battles against, he, he helps him, he bandages him, he picks him up, puts him on his donkey, gives him a ride to an inn, pays the innkeeper, like here's enough money for him to stay and if this isn't, a, isn't enough, you take care of him, I'm gonna pay you more. When I get back, he displayed this uncommon kind of compassion towards this guy and it cost him something. It wasn't just a drive-by compassion. It's something that lasted. He gave up his own earnings. He gave up his own time, right, to help this gentleman out. A lot of times, it's gonna cost you. My father-in-law and mother-in-law, they have one of the most compassionate hearts, and they, they're helping a, a, a guy out right now. In fact, that um, they thought it would be a quick kind of, you know, here's, here's some money to help you kind of get by the season of your life. That was probably about three years ago and still working through it. Thousands of dollars later, attorneys and bankruptcy stuff later, all this kind of stuff, and there's really not a happy ending in sight, but you know what? They're sticking with it. There's something beautiful about this, this compassion that compels us, even at a cost, even though it's messy. Clicking on somebody's post, liking something, that's clean. Compassion is messy. Compassion sometimes means us getting our hands dirty, getting involved. It's not gonna be as quick and easy as we think. And I would even argue if it doesn't cost you something, it's not really compassion. Because the definition of compassion is I'm going to suffer with. I'm going to hurt with. And when we get outside of our, ourselves, out of this kind of selfie society, and we follow God's leading, it could lead you down a long road that you never expected, but I promise you it'll be a beautiful, compassionate mess. So for some of you, God might call you to maybe mentor some, some inner city kid, and it's gonna, it's gonna be a long, hard road, and you're gonna have battles, you're gonna have struggles to do it, but it's gonna be beautiful. It might mean you know stepping up and serving and elevate students, and mentoring a young girl who's finding her identity in anything but Jesus, finding it in, in, in sexual partners, finding it you know, in, in cutting herself, finding it in all these other places, and it might be messy, but you're gonna be compelled to act. You're gonna be compelled to walk that journey with them. Maybe you're a foster parent, and some of you foster parents know this. You are, you're compelled to act on the behalf of, of some child, and you bring them into your home only for a year later for them to be taken away from you. Even if it's messy, even if it hurts, compassion costs us something. Compassion costs us. Compassion often shows up as interruptions. Here's the last thing, and I'll never want you to forget, is that it changes lives. Compassion changes lives, but never forget, most of all, your own. Not only does it help that person that you're being compassionate towards, but a lot of times it helps you. It changes your heart. Because you and I, when we take time to get outside of ourselves and we let God lead, often the life that's changed the most isn't theirs, but it's ours. It's being compelled to act. And I think of the ways that, that you guys acted yesterday. Many of you, again, I've never been more proud of our church to see the way you stepped up and served. I think if we're gonna call it compassion, 
And let's live that way. Let's act like it. Let's get messy. Let's, let's be sensitive to those interruptions, those divine moments where God is compelling you to pull over to help that person, compelling you to make that call, whatever it is. Let's be sensitive to really acting and be okay with it costing you something. Because ultimately, the greatest act of compassion ever in the world cost something. It costed God something. It costed God his own son, Jesus. The passion of the Christ, right? He suffered for our sins. He died for us. And so our only adequate response is to do whatever we can to give our lives back to follow him. And I believe one of the greatest things that that God is after right now, in fact, I think the thing that keeps him up at night are people far from him. And God wants us to join in that action of compassion and reaching people who are far from God. Let's do this. Would you bow your heads? If you have not felt a significant pull to compassion, if you can't think back to a time, I'm talking to the, the people who have said yes to Jesus right now, that you've given up time, energy, maybe your, your hard-earned money to help someone out, whatever it was, you can't remember when that happened, I wanna ask you this question, are you as close to Jesus as you thought you were? Because the closer we get to Jesus, it's not the more greedy we become, but the more generous, the more compassionate we become. We die to ourselves. We are literally dying to our selfie. In this selfie-centered kind of world, we're dying to ourself to become more like Christ. And Jesus welcomed the interruptions. Every time Jesus had an interruption, he was moved with compassion. He was compelled to do something about it. What is God compelling you to do? With every head bow, every eyes closed, let's talk to those people who are, you're far from God. You don't have a relationship with, with God. And I need to tell you that the greatest act of compassion was that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. That God was so passionate about you that he didn't want to live without you. He didn't want to live without you in eternity that he wanted to have a relationship with you because he desperately loves you and the way he showed it was by giving up what was most important and precious to him, his son Jesus. And the Bible tells us that as we confess our sins and we believe that Jesus died for us and we confess him as Lord and, and we believe that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved, that that great act of compassion and passion for us, we would accept and receive and we would have a new life. We would be free from the penalty of our sins. We could, we could experience that, that unmerited, undeserved grace of God. Maybe for some of you, that's why you're here. The way we do that is through prayer. I wanna lead you in a prayer that says that right now. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray, I'm praying right alongside with you, those out in the lobby, uh, those in this room right now. If you'd say, I'm gonna pray that with you today. Would you raise your hand, just hold it up high. Praise God for you. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God for you. You just say something like this. Those of you, again, out in the lobby, just repeat after me. Say it in your heart. Whisper it to God. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. Thank you for that action of once and for all saving me from my 
sins of my past, my present, and my future. And so today I confess that Jesus is Lord. I repent of my sin and I choose to trust you for salvation. And from this moment on, I will follow you with my entire life in Jesus' name, amen. Come on church, can you celebrate with those? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.